Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild, um, amongst other things, and I'm neck deep in planning this Jim Wendler meet, so the NLV meet. Right on. Should be a good time. Nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, owner of Extreme Human Performance, created a Flux Diet Cert, and I was in the jungles of Costa Rica for two weeks, and now I'm teaching for the Kerrig Institute here in Florida. So getting ready to do that in just a bit again for day two or three. Cool. Hey, my name is Karen Leighton. I'm just a nerd who lifts sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Nothing wrong with that. Nope. <laughs> okay. All right, everyone. We have two bits of uh, news. One little piece of uh, Iron Radio community news, I guess you would call it. It's not quite a mail. Uh, and then we're going to uh, talk to Karen about women in powerlifting and in science. Uh, Karen is a, for people who aren't familiar, a lot of the um, news blurbs fairly regularly that we do, uh, Karen will send something and be like, "This here's a cool one, here's a cool one. So uh, we thought we would just sort of check in and actually speak with her. So, okay, but I digress. Uh Two papers here. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This first one is, it was a press release from Rutgers University. Uh, Mike, this is interesting because you and I differ a little bit on how much vitamin D we take in the winter months, I think. Um, Yeah. But this says, more vitamin D may improve memory, but too much may slow reaction time. Um, And then the subtitle is, how much vitamin D... Uh, can boost memory, learning, and decision-making in adults, and how much is too much. So this was a study done in women. It says, a unique Rutgers-led study found that overweight women who took more than three times the recommended daily dose of vitamin D showed improvements in memory and learning, but also had slower reaction times. So this caught my attention, right? Because in powerlifting, you need explosiveness. Now, this was done, it looks like, in older women. The researchers evaluated three groups of women between ages 50 and 70 in a randomized controlled trial. One group took the recommended daily dose of 600 IUs, right, international units of vitamin D, which is 15 micrograms, right? It's a conversion factor of about 40, for people who aren't familiar. Um, And they did it daily for a year. So 600 IUs daily for a year. That's not a very high dose. Another group took 2,000 IUs per day, and the third group took 4,000 IUs per day for a year. All women participated in lifestyle counseling and were encouraged to lose a modest amount of weight. Uh, The researchers found that memory and learning improved in the group that took 2,000 IUs per day, but not in the group that took the higher dosage. Meanwhile, the women's reaction time showed significantly slower results at the higher dosage. So they're sort of pointing the finger a little bit at 4,000. It says, quote, this is possible uh, since other researchers have found that vitamin D supplementation uh, over 2,000 units daily uh, increased the risk of falls. So when they look at older ladies, they're worried about risk of falls. It said, but previously researchers didn't understand the cause. Our team's findings indicate a slower reaction time may be one answer. Uh, many people think that more vitamin D supplementation is better, but this study shows that it is not always the case. Uh, Mike, any thoughts from you about that? I mean, vitamin D is not very toxic as far as the fat solubles, you know, and things like that. And, of course, you've got to take a good whopping bolus, you know, daily amount to get your blood levels to, to change. But have you seen anything yeah. on the nervous system? or? Yeah, I would say that it... Yeah, 600 IUs really isn't going to do much for pretty much anybody. 2,000 starts to kind of move that curve. Um, I would wonder if they measured, you know, the surrogate marker 25-hydroxy levels in the blood because if they don't standardize people in terms of low or high, and I'm sure they tried to get the same population, 
I always wonder about just giving someone a supplement, how many people kind of respond to it, how many don't, how many were low, how many were high. And usually with those kind of studies, I'm more interested in what was the blood levels of the 25-hydroxy, right, so a marker for vitamin D, right? more so than just the, the supplement. Because I know everyone likes a randomized controlled trial, and there's good reasons for that. But when you're doing with something where you're trying to actually hit a physiologic target, I'm more interested in what was the physiologic target, did they get close to that or not, and then secondary, how much did they take to get to that instead of, oh, we just like fish oil is the same way. Oh, we gave a bunch of people fish oil. Some got better, some got worse. Ah, oh, we don't know. Like, well, mm-hmm. did you measure what was actually going on in the body then? <laughs> I'm guessing they probably did look at 25-hydroxy-D in the bloodstream. But I think one important, I imagine so. you know, one important caveat here, in fact, later in this blurb, it does say um, – one of the researchers said that 4,000 IUs a day might not be a problem for younger people, but for the elderly, sure. it could be It could because of, you know, their balance or their cognition may already be altered a little bit, right? So, yeah. So yeah, right. it's interesting that there may be, you know, we see that across other populations, right, with protein. You know, we right. see that you need more protein as you age, so it's mm-hmm. not surprising that we would expect to see differences based on age and intervention. Right, yeah. Interesting, though. Yeah, my yeah, concern, yeah, super I, interesting. I've always just looked at vitamin D. Like, I try not to go – I'll do 2,000 most days. Every once in a while in the winter months, I'll, I'll double. I'll take two of them. Uh, I try not to go over 5,000 I use a day kind of thing. But I've always just sort of watched yeah. for stuff like uh, calcified bumps in my soft tissue or something, <laughs> you know, kind of thing as a overdose, crude overdose marker. But in, in any case. Yeah. There's some data, obviously, taken with K1 or K2 can be helpful, and vitamin D works with all other, you know, nutrients in the body, too. Right. So, Okay. Uh, I have one more. Um, this one is from Advances in Nutrition. It's spanking new. It says, food groups and risk of overweight, obesity, and weight gain, a systematic review, and dose-response meta-analysis. This is by Schlesinger and colleagues. Uh, it says... Um, this meta-analysis summarizes the evidence of a prospective association between the intake of certain foods, uh, and here they are. Whole grains they looked at, refined grains, veggies, fruit, nuts, legumes, eggs, dairy, fish, red meat, processed meat, and sugar-sweetened beverages. So pretty much all foods. <laughs> Uh, and then they looked at risk of overweight and obesity. Then separately, they looked at just gut fat, like abdominal obesity, uh, and weight gain. So they calculated some relative risks, um, and they drew this from 43 reports. Uh, and then they compared the highest compared with the lowest intake of each of those categories, right, of red meat, for example, or fruits or nuts. So what did they find? Uh Inverse associations and modest relative risk differences were found for whole grains uh, and less overweight in obesity. So whole grains, uh, the relative risk was 0.93, so slightly less than 1.0, right? Uh, For fruit, it was the same, 0.93. So higher fruit intakes associated, right? This isn't causal, but associated with lower uh, overweight in obesity, uh, the one that jumped out the most with the, the biggest relative risk change to me was the nut intake. People who ate the most nuts, their relative risk for abdominal obesity, uh, right, gut fat essentially, was 0.42. So mm. quite a bit less. And I, I find that interesting, right, because th- I always think about nuts as they've got all those great phytochemicals and whatnot. But at the same time, you've got to be careful because every handful is going to bring a lot of calories, right, just because of the – the monounsaturated fat. Uh, and anyway, uh, legumes had a 0.88 relative risk when it came to overweight and obesity. Fish was similar, so slightly lower risk of abdominal obesity. Uh, and they just go through. I'm not going to read all of these. Uh, the red meat caught my eye, and they said it had a positive link with gut fat, um, but the relative risk was 1.1, and with weight gain, it was 1.14. So these are modest, right? These are very yeah, modest differences. Small. Yeah, and and I want a definition for red meat, damn it, yeah. right? You, Mike, you and I, every time we go to a conference, we see something like, can you define red meat? Because if you mean hot dog and bologna, I, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that's not all. I'm sure that's not like what Phil's eating in his family, you know, mm-hmm. is hot dogs and bologna all the time. So, yeah. Didn't you say they had one for processed meat on there, too, or not? Um, they did. I don't see the numbers for that, though. Oh, okay. Hmm. They do have sugar sweetened beverages. So make you beverages. think that they divided it out then if they had a category for processed meat, but who knows? Right, right. No, they did mention it in the beginning. I don't see it here in the actual results section. Um, hmm. They do have sugar sweetened <laughs> beverages, though. SSBs, the relative risk was 1.05 uh, for overweight and 1.12 for abdominal. And then they go on to say, actually, this has a very low to low quality of evidence that could be improved by more intervention trials or use of novel stats, statistical methods. So, um, well, I agree with that, right? Some direct comparisons are always good instead of just these sort of correlation type things. But anyway, I thought I would just share that just because it's brand new and it, it looks at different food groups. And I think that's a real trend in nutrition lately is, right, is... Not just a single nutrient, but what are the dietary patterns? What are the overall food groups, right? Uh, And that's one of the things why I'm always concerned when people, if they start really restricting some of these types of diets, like if you're a hardcore vegan or, I mean, let's take even that to an extreme, like these fruitarians I hear about sometimes. Like, wait, you only eat fruit? Really? (laughs) Like, they're they're hacking away entire chunks of the food guide, you know, and each of these food groups has particular nutrients that they're really good at providing so anyway so that's that's the science news i did want to say one thing from a listener scott significant uh donation from scott this past week and i just wanted to single that out and and just say thank you iron radio stays alive because of things like that so thank you my man thank you okay let's get to karen thank you for your patience let's start with um your origin story. Maybe start even start before that with who you are. Like, why do you listen to Iron Radio, things like that? What's the interest? What's the connection? And then we can start with how it all began. Okay. Um, so I guess I started listening to Iron Radio after I had gotten into powerlifting. And uh, I'm a nerd. So what really I liked about Iron Radio was it was really science-based, which really appealed to me. <laughs> this is kind of off topic, but I really like the format of your podcast. So I hate rambling, nonsensical podcasts that don't seem to revolve around like a structure or a point. So um, <laughs> okay. um, and so that that's why I, I really enjoy Iron Radio. It's just like kind of the perfect you know, intersection of science, lifting, and uh, a good format. <laughs> okay. So um, I guess origin story for science is I've always been a nerd, so there's that. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> I've just been a geek my whole life. Um, and I I mean, it kind of like started out where I was like, oh, you know, as a kid, I was like, oh, I really want to be like a zookeeper. And then it kind of like devolved right and they're like, oh, well maybe a zoologist, and then you get more education. Like, okay, well, maybe a biologist. So that's when I got my first degree in biology was um, basically off of that drive from, like, six years old to, to love animals all the time. Okay. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I was an unemployed biologist for a year after that because it was, like, peak recession. So that cured me of biology. Oh, Okay. <laughs> So then I uh, jumped and changed careers, um, and I got into an engineering job. And so then I was like, well, I guess I better go back to school. So, And I've just been in school ever since. So, gotcha. Working on my uh, second degree in um, electrical engineering. Oh, so. okay. So what about the connection with, with lifting? I mean, you're sort of atypical, I think, or at least what, what the, the, you're, not, you're against the stereotype, right, of somebody who might be a power lifter. Uh, right um well i don't necessarily think so i mean like there's a lot of i would say nerds that lift i think it kind of appeals to a certain kind of building creating mindset in a way yeah but um in terms of lifting it was like i was a competitive um swimmer in high in high school um and you know that just really burns you out on cardio for the rest of your life so right (laughs) I still wanted to stay active, and kind of after college, I was, you know, messing around in the weight room and just kind of doing a little bit of lifting here and there. Um, but it's always been, it was just a series of 
female friends who really inspired me. So I had a friend who lifted, um, you know, back in the day, I was like, oh, wow, that's really impressive, you know, and I was like, wow, I just really want to be like that. Um, so then I started getting more seriously into using, like, barbells, and then um, through, like, an online fitness community, I found one of my friends that was a power lifter, and I think it is the goal of every power lifter to convert one of their friends to powerlifting. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so eventually, after uh, much, much uh, conjoling, she finally got me into doing proper powerlifting, and I did, you know, a meet, and I just fell in love with it. So that would be my origin story on that. Oh well, no, that's good. You know, and in a sense, I we count on listeners who are that sort of egghead meathead combination right Mm -hmm. that sort of you know nerd and lifter but i i think you've hit on something that the the common thread is this like self-improvement type thing you know this personal growth type thing whether it's brain or biceps right it's you're enhancing you know in a progressive way you're actually self-actualizing on some level so and the other the other thing about like powerlifting, unlike most sports, you are kind of topped, you're peaked at mid 20s, right? Mm-hmm. So with powerlifting, you know, I I'm turning 31 this year, but I know that I still have years where I can actually get stronger and better. Yeah, you, you're never in most sports, you're never going to get better than what you are in your young 20s, and that's really depressing for me. So it's kind of nice to be. I I like being in a sport where I can get better than I am right now, and you don't just like chasing your glory days in your early 20s. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. I mean, done properly, it, there's a really long road where you can continue to improve. I'm always talking to like collegiate team athletes, right? And these these kids are 20, 21 years old. And a lot of them already started, they start looking a little bit high mileage with these injuries and the stuff that they're doing. And then a lot of them, when they're about to graduate, they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And I'm like, well, unfortunately, society is built largely where it focuses so much on sports up through college. And then you just kind of become fat unless you just have enough self-motivation to go seek and do something, you know, because it's not really built into what you're supposed to do. I think in your 30s and 40s, and so I always t- tell them, "What about strength sports?" You know, if I'm talking to some big guy, big kid, I'm like, "Have you ever thought about something like strongman?" I mean, you know, you're strong as hell. You know, look, you're, you weigh, you know, 250 pounds. You know, stuff like that. Uh, not to say that smaller guys can't do strongman, but you get my point. Is I agree with you 100. percent If you could continue on with something, strength sports really offer that. You know. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We're gonna go to break. When we come back, uh, we're gonna. Just get some of Karen's thoughts about, you know, women in powerlifting, women in the sciences, uh, what's important about connecting them, uh, and things of that nature. The whole, again, egghead versus meathead uh, spectrum kind of thing. And we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you, Uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. 
Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. Uh, it's Phil and Mike and Lonnie and Karen. Karen's a longtime listener, uh, self-described science nerd and power lifter. Uh, Karen, how many competitions have you been in? Can we establish a little bit of street cred for you? <laughs> Cause sure. you seem to be- I don't have a lot of street cred, so I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've done a couple meets. This last year, I developed this really weird, rare hand uh, condition called Dupuytren's. So I had to get a couple hand surgeries this last year. So, you That'll know, that, you that, that set me back. Yeah, um, yeah. but I've really, uh, tried it. I'm almost back. I'm almost back to peak peak where I was before. So I would say that I kind of started really trying to power lift in 2015 and then got knocked back this last year, but I'm, I'm coming back. So. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. You know what? We could do almost a, a whole episode on, and injuries that shut you down. And we've all felt this, right? Even you listeners think about, like, if you've ever had a hand injury, you're just screwed. Like, a serious hand injury is going to limit you in ways that you would have never really given it much thought, you know? Like, oh my God, I can't hold the barbell. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I listen to you guys, and Phil's always like, well, if I don't have my hand, I'll just use my other hand. But I found that it was just too demotivating for me. Mm. So I really just took a lot of time off from the gym. Just I couldn't handle it. It just really set me back. But now that my hands are back to 100%, I'm, you know, I just I did the Phil Stevens um, diet for success, which is eat like an asshole. And <laughs> <laughs> Just, yep. I just bulked my way up, you know, an extra 10 pounds, and it was miserable for the first couple months. But, I, you know, it's the it's a real recipe for success. So, Yeah. You know, the, I don't want to sound sexist, but I haven't heard many women say that. You know, I'm going to eat like an a-hole and just put on weight and just massive, you know, weight gain. I'm sure it happens. I, it, I just haven't heard that much. That kind of reckless, you know, crash through barriers kind of bulking phase. So, well, respect. I think a lot of women in strength sports, you know, say that they're hard builders, you know, and when they're really trying, when they're really in the sport for a long time, because, you know, a, a woman off the street will, will always claim that they build muscle like nothing. Like, oh, I always build muscle. I just can't stop, you know. But when you're actually in the gym uh, for a little bit, you realize, no, I can't just build muscle. It's actually extremely difficult for me to build muscle. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from, a hesitation to actually bulk mm-hmm. like Amanda's. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of women are really afraid of gaining weight and it's very difficult because, you know, in society peak women fitness is, is underweight. And so yeah. you just kind of have to disregard everything you've ever learned about anything, you know, in society and just kind of like, well, I want to reach my goal. And the way to do that is just to, you know, follow iron radio advice and just gain weight <laughs> yeah just have to eat yeah you can only defy the laws of physics for so long right in fact you can't <laughs> so uh, you're you yeah. and mike are both engineers right i don't have to explain thermodynamics to you guys but the, the fact is yeah if, if enough energy comes into the system and it's not escaping somewhere you're gonna grow so um phil do you have women competitors like are they because of the culture at strength guild are they very open to you know um the you know what i would call reckless you know or dirty bulk kinds of weight gains or uh yeah we got we got jokes around my gym about i make women gain weight so it's like every (laughs) everybody that comes in my door ends up adding weight so uh yeah i mean by large and mass yeah i mean a lot of my women they 
or in there to be competitive, and they're going to do what it takes. So there are times where we eat the game, you know. Yeah. And, and they don't have much of an issue with it. And it helps when you have a culture and a support system around you of others doing it. You know, you're not just doing it by yourself. Um, right. You've got 50 other people, and they're doing the same thing, you know, and they yeah. understand where you're at. So, you know, when you're by yourself, you're like, oh, my summer body. And we're like, screw summer. You got to meet July 5th. <laughs> you know, it yeah. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So, so they can uh, be singularly focused like that. They don't have, um, yeah, everybody has hang ups or anything gonna, about the, yeah, the fat, I'm, additional fat gainer. For sure. I mean, I'd be in, there's even times I do. It's like, oh man, I'm a slob. But, you know, the greater picture of the thing is I'm, I'm, I'm here for a reason and I put myself here. And once you realize that, you didn't accidentally gain 30 pounds. <laughs> you did it on purpose right. and it'll come on right purpose. back off. Yeah. You know, so, and the, once you pass that barrier, it's a lot easier to do it. It's like I think people have this idea in their head that if you gain 20 pounds, it's permanent somehow. And it's not. You put it on, you can take it right back off. You can change again, you know? Oh, right. So, no, I agree with that. I think a lot of people, they look at their bodies like a permanent thing, right? And yeah, the more you understand physiology, I, you know, I was just describing this in the classroom the other day, but I said, you know, there's that old metaphor of a river. The body is like a river. You know, everything's in a state of flux. You never step into exactly the same river twice. And and you're right. I think that's one of the things that bodybuilding and powerlifting both teach you is like if, if my mental image is sort of this medium body fat guy. But over the years, I've been extremely lean and then extremely yeah. not lean, <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. And because I mean, the locus of control is me. And, yes. you know, and I, I, I don't know, Karen, is that how you tend to process things or is it is it more of a struggle, do you think? Or what's inside? I think. Well, I think it's it's something that, uh, you know, the differences between men and women, for every physiological difference, there's about 100 greater times social differences. Mm-hmm. So in women are kind of marinated in this really like, oh, you need to be thin, you need to be dieting all the time kind of mentality. So it takes a long time to kind of kill that mindset. And it really helps to have other women around you doing the same thing. Like, I don't know if I would have been able to get to this point if I didn't have a supportive, um, you know, female powerlifting community around me. That's what really helps. And, you know, that's why Phil does well with women is because he already has women in his gym. So he'll continue to have more women in his gym because he has women in his gym. Mm -hmm. You walk into the gym and you're like, okay, all these other women are serious. They want to, you know, they're here for strength gains and we're kind of the subculture of a subculture mm-hmm. where you're disregarding what society is like. You need to be thin, you need to be skinny, um, and you're going, okay, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it helps having a support system and it's still, it's still a hang up, especially when you go clothes shopping and you can't find anything. And women's clothes shopping is just brutal experience. I would have a friend and I, we would just get drunk before I went, tried on pants because it was just depressing. <laughs> <laughs> you go up in pants and a lot of these clothing lines, they just make the waist bigger, you know? And I'm just like, my calves are struggling. I can't get my calves in. I can't get my thighs in. And then and there's like a you know, a balloon around my waist and you're just like, well, this doesn't, this oh, doesn't yeah. work for me. <laughs> oh yeah. So. I, you know, I was, I, I was in Coles. This was like two summers ago and I still remember it. And I kept, I, I couldn't find shirts. They all balloon around my waist, like my dress shirts for work. And so I, I got this athletic cut one because slim cuts not going to happen. You know, when it says higher sleeves, you know, more narrow arms, I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> and so I got this athletic cut one and it was just slimmer through the chest. And I'm like, that's not athletic. Like, what kind of athletes are you dressing? Are you trying to clothe? You know, I know what you're saying. Clothes are not cut for people who have any kind of muscle mass. You know, and I'm not a really heavily built person, but that can be very frustrating. I've never, I've never had drinks before, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, can, I can see where the frustration because society's not built like that. But let me, so let me ask you, um, what's your genetic predisposition? I know nothing about you know, your baseline characteristics. So are you um, built for strength? Are you ectomorphic and thinner and the weight gain is important for, you know what I mean? Because where you come from, I think is a big deal, right? Like for example, I liked bodybuilding because I could participate with weights. I'm never going to squat, you know, 700 pounds. I, it, it was never really in the cards for me. I mean, I guess, 
you, I don't want to sound defeatist, but you know, I have really little joints and things like that. But other people are the flip side of that, right? If you have bigger joints and you're a little bit more heavily built naturally, if society expects you to be underweight equals fit, like you were saying earlier, you're just not geared for that, right? So, I mean, so where are you coming from on that spectrum? Are you thin and ectomorphic? Are you are you a little bit bigger joint jointed and the strength is just, that's what drew you that way because you're good at it? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, okay. So I'm definitely large, like boned person. Mm-hmm. I've always been, I've always weighed more than people would even expect. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just dense um, and I have big, broad shoulders and just thick, you know, I'm just, just I have big joints, um, and my my skeleton is big, and I'm like five seven. So um, it is interesting going into a powerlifting meet because I'm well. First of all, I'm taller than a lot of the other women. Okay. <laughs> Especially at a powerlifting meet, there's a lot of shorter women. It seems like, mm, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I, in society, I would say that I in like compared to an, like another normal uh, woman, I definitely feel like I kind of am a big. I am like half. Swedish, right? And I'm Polynesian, so I'm just from big, you know, seafaring folk. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't tend to gain a lot of fat. I guess I've been really fortunate in my life to always just kind of be, uh, never have to really struggle too much with my weight. But I, I, uh, I'm definitely meant to carry weight, and tr- just trudge it around all all day long. So yeah. I'm not a fast person. I, I every, every once in a while I'm like I'm going to be a runner I'm going to run and then I start running and then my knees just kind of like Ugh. Oh, yeah <laughs> and then I'm in pain for weeks on end so I'm not a I'm not a fast person in that way for sure yeah I guess that's what I'm getting at right I mean if you're gifted in that way for strength that's what you should go for you know what I mean uh, what was that for, who said this. Years ago, I heard a quote where somebody said, um, you know that thing you're really not good at? Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I know, I know what you're saying. Like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to run. or And I don't know what your introduction, if your introduction of fitness put that kind of pressure on you or not. Um, did you did you stumble into the, the right online communities you, you felt like then? I mean, or, um, or did you feel that pressure that if I'm going to be quote unquote fit – I'm going to have to, you know, I don't know, carb cycle year round and run all the time, you know? Well, I definitely started, I think the route that everyone does in the gym is you're like, oh, I'm going to, I don't know, be a fitness model or whatever. Um, (laughs) But once you start lifting, you kind of, I think you find your, your, your niche uh, kind of forces you. I I don't grow muscle very well. um, And it's, I, I don't look you know, I don't look like a fitness model. I have muscles, but it, they aren't. I've seen women. I guess it, it may, comes down to like joint size and how it looks on you. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I I can't grow muscles in that in that kind of way. And but I did find I was like, oh, you know, but I can lift a good, you know, for for an average person, I can lift a good amount of weight. So I think you just kind of fall into what you like doing, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know what you're saying, too. Yeah, not everyone's built to look like a balloon animal, you know, with, like, these tiny joints and these big, bulging muscle bellies and stuff. But one of the reasons I like strength sports is because you can you can be all of the above. You know, you can be the really heroic sort of Highlander or strongman kind of guy who's just really large mammal, like we talk about, you know. Or you can be a smaller person and maybe you're geared toward the balloon animal look, you know. And there, there's something for everybody, I think. But let's switch gears a little bit about the... The science side of things. So you describe yourself as sort of a on the nerd geek side of the spectrum a little bit. Um, you send us some good studies uh, and abstracts and whatnot. Um, how do you come across those? And how important do you think that is? You know, Other than Iron Radio, uh, can you suggest any other resources or why is that important to you? Um. So in my day job right now, I work on software, and I still love biology. I'm still a biology nerd, and pretty much the only way I get to express myself as a biology nerd is by, you know, reading uh, scientific papers. Okay. <laughs> so, 
I, I still feel like connected to my my little community of, of bio nerds. Um, and I really so I read a lot of other articles. It's not I'm not just interested in, in, in fitness per se, but I really enjoy reading the fitness ones. Just kind of like um, I guess it's the way I can express myself as a bio nerd in an engineering world per se. Uh, okay. <laughs> so and I had some really good professors in my biology degree who really taught me how to read a journal article. Um, for example, he made us read this article and we talked about it, la, la, la. And then he said, oh, in what way uh, did this article absolutely suck? And that was really eye-opening because we were like, oh, what, what? You don't mean this, this isn't, this isn't uh, what is absolute truth? <laughs> and so that was it really opened my eyes to reading articles and and enjoying delving into the science of journals and so i really enjoy the uh the geeking out and the only place i can really share my fitness geeky articles is with you guys so. oh <laughs> okay uh, what kind of resources i mean because of your background are you part of different um email like list groups or something where they just send them to you or do you get certain journals do you just go browse on like PubMed or the National Library of Medicine or something or where where do you see them uh, I usually go on Science Daily is pretty good resource for finding articles yeah um, and I like going to um, I don't know if you ever go on Reddit but they have a few fitness communities on there that always share articles like um our fitness and then there's our advanced fitness and that one's just strictly papers interesting so yeah yeah a lot of forums and that sort of thing i haven't had a lot of great experiences with those because if you you really have to it's a minefield online right you really have to kind of be careful because people you know they get wed to an idea they can't change their conclusions in the face of new evidence and then the science kind of breaks down you know and things just sort of devolve but I, I i do get on reddit for different things i'll have to look for those so sounds like an endorsement a little bit um, yeah <laughs> that's good um mike did when was it that you actually started applying you know how to read a science paper uh, to your fitness goals um i'm probably one of those weird people where i started doing that pretty early on i guess um because i started doing Bachelor of Arts in Natural Science, and then even when I was doing engineering stuff, I would read fitness articles and research for fun. I actually wandered in and took the the 400-level exercise phys class. I was at Michigan Tech. Um, I couldn't audit it because I was maxed out on credits. So I talked to the professor, and I said, hey, I just, you know, I like this. I just kind of want to come to your class. He's like, well, you can't audit it because you're maxed out on credits. And he's like, what's your major? I said, oh, I'm doing mechanical engineering. He's like, well, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, that's just kind of fun. And you guys go over lots of cool research. And his background was uh, aerospace. He was one of the physiologists for a lot of the Russian uh, space programs. And he was super cool. He's like, well, no one's requested this before, but if you just happen to wander in during the class time, I won't kick you out. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was probably the first like real sort of exercise phys class that they went over, you know, different papers and stuff like that, because this was back in the late nineties, you know, that there was some stuff published in that area, but there's definitely wasn't any textbooks on it. So the class was all very heavily, uh, research based. So that was like super helpful at that time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'd call you a nerd, but I admit self-disclosure. I don't oh, yeah. I ever said this, but when I was a doc student, I sat in on a class. Um, it was just... It was doc-level endocrinology, and I just said, can I just – and it was 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, I just, I just want to sit in. Like, he's like, you just want to learn it? Yeah. I just I – just, I really – hormones control the show, you know, because I was in exercise physiology at that point. And I wanted to see the, you know, the, the more pure, if you will, biology approach. It wasn't always yeah. with a fitness angle. And I just needed to understand endocrinology better. And unfortunately, these days – we're actually telling students you're not even allowed to sit in on a class unless you pay for it, I think, for liability reasons. You know, somebody's going to come back and sue and say, I want a grade for that or I want audit credit for that. And I, I, I hope that's not always the case because that was that sort of open 
learning, just nerd out environment. So <laughs> I'm with you there, man. Um, uh, uh, Karen, let's bring it back. So I think this is my maybe to use Mike's term, my bias, but I, I, I think that you although there are a lot of uh, nerdy lifters out there. Uh, it's something that's sort of grown in popularity, and I think the general public still wants to pigeonhole people. You know, if you're heavily muscled and you're a large mammal, then you must be slow on the uptake. You know, and they expect really smart people to be like physically unimpressive. You know, or even uh, like disabled, like a like a Stephen Hawking or something like that. Um, because you hybridize those things, and again, I, I agree. There's a, there's more people doing that. Um, what advice would you have for women if they're interested in science or powerlifting? How would they wed the two? Or I guess I'm just looking for your personal insights. Um, yeah, I think for women and um, that are interested in science, it's more of, uh, I would say, exposure and also believing in yourself because I think one of the reasons I didn't even consider engineering at first is because I thought, oh, you have to be you know, absolute top of your class in math to be a, an engineer, which is, which is false. So you can, if you're just okay at math, that's fine. You can go into engineering, you know, follow your dreams, passion. Um, and I think take a risk and don't be afraid of, uh, walking into a room and being the only woman there. It's really intimidating, but usually, uh, in those kind of environments, they're more scared of you than you're scared of them. So, Kind of like, <laughs> okay. Um, so, but for lifting, it's really my my main advice is to just throw away your scale and embrace stretchy fabrics, um, and find find a community of of lifting women because <laughs> you're you're not gonna get uh, supportive comments from the general public. You're just not. Uh, people are going to be like, oh, be careful. You're going to build too much muscle, you know, and they, they give you all this helpful advice and yeah. just you can't, can't listen to them. You have to find your own compass in a way and, and just kind of stick to it and find other women that are on that same compass because you need a support group. If you're going to be in like the subculture of a subculture, uh, <laughs> you know, for sure. Yeah. Especially, uh, you know, talking with uh, women, you know, young women or people who want to get fit, you can't see muscular strength. Now, you can see muscle mass, but you can't. It sometimes it's it's less obvious. You know, I always joke with runners, you can't, I can't see your VO two max. You know that kind of thing. But so people's perception of fitness, it doesn't always in, encompass strength. You know, like that girl is as strong as or stronger than most grown ass men. You know, kind of thing. And people don't really acknowledge that sort of thing. But how many times have we all rolled our eyes at someone saying, oh, I don't want to build muscle, too much muscle. You know, like you said, be careful, don't build too much muscle. As if, mm-hmm. right? As if that stuff just falls onto your frame. I don't know. Um, right. We're waiting, we're waiting for every woman in my gym to just get too jacked all of a sudden. Still, yeah, still waiting. <laughs> it, hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <clears throat> totally. Yeah, and I think also, yeah, there is that perception, like you said, that – you're going for a permanent state. You're changing your body permanently for the rest of your life. But I will say that adding muscle onto your frame as a woman jacks your metabolism way up. Um, I eat, I eat like a man at this point in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. and if I ever have to calculate my calories, it's, I just put in man, my weight, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Because no, you just you, you start carrying the same amount of muscle as a man, and I don't think your metabolism. It's just you know I don't think women inherently burn less calories than men. I think it's a function of how much muscle you're carrying and how much you're doing in a day. Yeah, there's definitely a correlation there. I think with muscle mass. I was gonna say it's a new website. Let's launch it. Eatlikeaman.com. <laughs> there we'll, it start, is. we'll start selling shirts and yep. Yep. eat like a man, and the website's entirely for women. <laughs> yep. Um, I will say this. You mentioned uh, just a minute ago about sort of this intimidation factor, whether walking into a strength environment or even the science environment. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard E.O. Wilson uh, some of his, or read some of his books, Karen, but uh, Harvard biologist, right? And this guy's in his 80s. He still does field work. But he often says that 
there's an optimal level of intellect or brightness among scientists, and they are not this public image of they're not math geniuses. You know, they're not this image of some dusty chalkboard and they're scribbling equations. You know, like you might think of a you know like a, a physicist or something like that. Um, they're curious people who want to understand the process, you know, and some of the best scientists aren't what we think in that. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm not a math genius, I can't do uh, X, Y, or Z, or even incorporate it or lean on it in my own lifting endeavors, that's not accurate, right? You can really gain a lot from appreciating better forms of evidence, you know, especially in a Web 2.0 environment. So, Yeah, I mean, it's about following, I mean, your passion, if your passion is for, uh, you know, asking why, that that is a, the biggest uh, indicator you'll be successful in that kind of career. Just being curious and, and being passionate about something goes a really long way. Mm-hmm. So well, and then the other thing to to the hurdle that I've seen people have is not just finding your passion, but allowing yourself to follow it. Because a lot of times your passion is not what the populace says is is good to do. Like, the populace, as far as exercise goes, is still based in cardio. And for people just to say, I'm just going to get strong. It's still, I mean, it's still very niche. And it's okay. If that's your passion, do it. You still see people, I have people that struggle with, I need to run more. Why? Uh, I don't know, but I just do, because that's what you do. You should. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you should. And it's like, it's okay to not do what everybody thinks you should. So, especially if you want to be the best at something. And it's so. it's true what you you and Karen are both saying. You're, it takes bravery to go against the grain like that. You're like, no, mm-hmm. I like this. Yeah. Damn it, you yeah. know. So that's what I'm going to pursue. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up, Karen, any other advice you might have for somebody who, whether in their sciences or not, just women in the strength sports, anything that might have helped you or you've seen, you know, uh, uh, with your friends and your community. I know you said seek a community. Um, anything else? Yeah, I would say, you know, be brave. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but you are allowed to not be skinny and small. <laughs> you, you you know, you. I feel like a lot of women need permission to gain weight, and I'm giving you permission to gain weight. Get strong. Yay. Be buff. There you go. <laughs> okay. There it is. So you have permission <laughs> from Karen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go get big and strong. Go get big and strong. Yeah, don't let them tell allowed. you what to do. You're allowed. So. <laughs> That's right. Me and my wife joke, and when I met her, she says the reason she married me is because I'm the first man that ever told her, just go ahead and gain 10 pounds. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, She's so like, gotta, what? Yes, I got to keep this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because, so. you know, you're educated enough to see that fitness is, you know, any of a variety of, of characteristics, you know, I mean, from strength to flexibility to cardio to, you know, there's all these different characteristics. and and you can appreciate that strength is one of them, you know, and not just like uh, walking around with, I don't know, 12% body fat on a woman's frame, you know, kind of thing. Oh, and also get your protein. I know it's, I struggle with this too. I don't know what it is, but women often eat too little protein. Eat your protein. Go get your protein. Go drink your shakes. You know, (laughs) that's funny that you say, I don't know how much I've really divulged this, but being an extreme minority as a male in dietetics, I often, in my classes and at conferences, I got this vibe, vague vibe, that protein was man food, almost as if it's to be, not avoided, but, you know, like I would hear terms like, oh, those meatheads and their protein, you know, and... Uh, like you know, this almost this idea like red meat is man food or soy is women's protein, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I that just doesn't sound very scientific. That sounds like there's some baggage involved with that. I don't know where that's coming from, but I got that vague, sen- you know, sensation in, in some settings. So well, I think that's good advice too. Yeah, go eat your damn protein. For yeah, sure. I think a lot of I think it, that might be more of a physiological difference because I I think I've read before that men can't tend to crave protein, so I think it may be more natural for men to go after protein. And I never I never crave protein. I hardly ever. Let's, let's, I do sometimes, I guess, after a really heavy lifting set. But I I kind of force myself to get in protein. I I just do a really big protein shake in the mornings and. and 
you know, and I just try to really focus on getting that protein in because it does make a huge difference. Um, and it's just not a natural thing that I want to eat. So what, so, what do you want? Is it your perspective that women like carbs? Do they, uh, is it? Oh yeah. Starches and sugars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on your cycle, right? Uh, your, what you're craving depends on where you are. If you're, um, if, if you're not on hormones of, of, you know, estrogen or whatever, if you have a natural cycle, you'll start craving uh, carbs at certain times. You'll start craving fat at certain times. It's just not protein is just not really on a lot of women's radar as far as what they want to eat. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to force yourself to do it, but it helps a lot when you do. I'm going to so. have to go dig in the literature. I've, I've seen a few studies about taste preferences of men or women but not necessarily like macronutrient preferences, you know, of man or woman. All right. Well, that's good stuff. Thanks, Kieran, for joining us. Yeah, of thanks. Course. Uh, <sighs> next week, uh, I, we're lining up a couple of guests here, but next week we might just have a gym talk kind of episode sort of thing. Um, and I guess we'll see everybody next time. That sounds good. See you later, everybody. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.